Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. For anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. This interview is very different. Before we started, Quentin and I were talking for 20 minutes, half an hour. We've got, seems we've got similar passions for watches and business and assets. So it's a very diverse interview. Now, if you don't know Quentin Wilson, he was the main man, along with Jeremy Clarkson in Top Gear for well over a decade, popularized. I mean, that became like one of the biggest TV shows. He said in the interview that at one point, I think he had over 300 million viewers. So obviously huge. And we had great conversations about his business interests, about life after Top Gear, about you know how he sees the future of business. He's uh, made uh, commissioned, made, formed many TV shows, including one that has shows all, all over the world called Britain's Worst Driver, which I probably should have been in with. As you will see, we talked a little bit about me crashing my car and actually Quentin's company paid the warranty out on it. So it's quite funny. Yeah, look, I just want to get straight in. I think you're absolutely going to love this. Probably the most diverse interview we've had on general business investing. A lot about the world of TV. I think you'll love it. Quentin, thanks for joining the podcast. Pleasure. Very grateful. Uh, we were just talking before we started recording, and I was very interested on your views about how it's different for your children and their generation growing up in this world getting jobs and businesses versus your generation? Well, we kind of grew up in this golden age, didn't we, where there was lots and lots of opportunity. Money was reasonably cheap to borrow. There was an oversupply of houses and general optimism. Now it's, it's very, very different. There is a kind of pervading gloom for these kids. And to be frank, they haven't kind of lived like we have having to live by our wits. And I'm a great believer in this entrepreneurial spirit. Mm. And I talk to my kids and at school, you know, they're not being taught this, this, this skill of knowing where there's a profit margin and actually how to make money. Mm-hmm. They're almost being taught to be consumers. And, and I always spend time with them and try and show them that, look, every day, in every way, there is something that will make you money. Yeah. And you've got to be able to recognize the value and the opportunity, and it's something I put into their, their minds. Also, get into understand that making money is relatively easy. Hanging on to it is awfully, <laughs> yeah. awfully difficult. You yeah. know? And, and, and they all want to go business class on the plane, and I'm afraid I send them in the bank <laughs> because they've got to learn this stuff, yeah. uh, and they don't know how much a business mm. class seat costs. But also, you've got to tell them that you can buy a business class seat for much, much less than everybody else if you just know what to do. Yeah, so if you get an Amex card and you get the air miles. Completely. Yeah. Or go on the right website and things yeah. like that. The one thing they do have that my generation didn't have is this laptop economy, mm. the internet, and they can find out all this stuff and learn about value and learn about opportunity. Yeah. And also you can buy and sell remotely, mm. which is much easier than strobing up and down the motorways as I used to do, hanging around in auctions, breathing carbon monoxide, yeah. just for a, a, a quick bit of profit. Yeah. So do you think in some ways it's a bit Darwinian in that it's like survival of the fittest? In one way, we were talking about robotics, your son who operates all the drones. Like, you embrace the future, you're probably going to win, but you could really get left behind as well. Is it? 
Yeah, I think they, they do have this opportunity of all this, this tech stuff, which is going to open huge, huge, huge new, new markets. If you look at things like the computing and cars, autonomous cars, the whole way that we travel and that we communicate with each other within cars is going to change. Mm. And we will see probably within 20 or less, probably 15 years, self-driving cars yeah. all over the place. And that that's a market that, that, that's worth trillions and trillions. So they've got this new, new high-tech economy, but they've got to be very good. And wh where I feel sorry for them is that it's really, really competitive now. For every job offered by Jaguar Land Rover or Mercedes or Google or Microsoft, there are thousands and thousands of kids chasing that. Right. So the old rules that you and I know about being organized, being efficient, being hardworking, being diligent, reading stuff, learning stuff, understanding about markets and about opportunities, that is never more relevant now than, it, than it's ever been. Mm. And why do you think the school's system doesn't seem to have quite caught up? And is, why is it not making a streetwise? Because it's all very well researching for an exam in Latin and learning some Latin, but how do you, how do you become independent <laughs> learning that? So. We've never really done it though. I mean, I went to a, a grammar school at a Redbrook University and nobody at any stage of my education told me how to make money. It was, as you said, you know, conjugating Latin verbs and things like that. So I think the education system, I mean, it is better now and, and business studies, but business studies, you know, kind of, you've got people who teach business studies who really can't make money because they wouldn't be teaching business of studies if they could. And yeah. that's the problem. And it's, it's, the theory of business studies is very different from the reality, the grim reality that you and I know about having to graft and make hard profit. Mm. And, you know, you can, you can, you can have a, this holistic view of it, but it's the nitty gritty that interests me. And I, I don't see my kids being taught that, and I certainly wasn't taught it. And you either learn it from your parents or your peers, or you're just thrust into a into an environment where you, you, you knew it. I, I learned it from cars, just mm. loved cars, and found that I could very quickly buy and sell them and even at university, between school and university, I was buying cars like Genesis Interceptors and Maserati Ghiblis and making money, which was surprising for, for, for a kid of 18 years of age yeah. and going to campus in E-type Jags and things like that where all the right. other kids were in beaten, beaten up <laughs> nice. escorts. And I knew that that was my destiny, that I didn't want to go and sit in an office and be on a telephone and stare into a screen. I wanted to be out there just living by my wits. Mm. And how did you get started Trading cars. I had a Saturday job in Hepworths, okay? And those of you old enough will remember Hepworths, the gentleman's outfitters on the, on the high street. <laughs> and I saved up, I think about 1,500 quid. And I bought my first car for 50 quid and then sold it for 250 quid and then so on and so on. And, and to the point where I was buying, a, like a, I remember a Sunbeam Tiger I bought for 495 pounds and then sold that for 1,500 quid, literally two or three days later. And 1,000 quid in 1970 something yeah. was a, Good shout. Yeah. So I very had a great margin. Yeah, a huge margin. Mm. And, and and I would plough that back and, and and was really obsessed about building up my capital and not spending it on an intense nightlife with lots of unsuitable girls. <laughs> that came later. Um, and and by the time I was, you know, at university, I had this little pot of cash of five grand and, mm. and I could buy things like, you know, a Ferrari Daytona yeah. and sell that and make 1,500 quid. Mm. So I realised very quickly that doing an English degree was great and it was very useful because I, I went on to, to, to use it, starting magazines and things like that. But what I really found absolutely fascinating that you could, out of absolutely nothing, make a very impressive pile of money just mm. by knowing stuff. Right. And how do you think, because you're still very much interested in business now and you've got business interests, yeah. how's it changed, the world of business? 
The world of business has changed enormously and there's a, a far too much compliance, I think, and we make it in this country very difficult for entrepreneurs to start up. And, you know, all the, 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 the necessary compliance with accountants and companies' house and everything, it's daunting. It mm. really, really is. And I spend, you know, hundreds of thousands with accountants and things, but you've got to do it. And I think as a society, we have to encourage wealth creation. Yeah. We've got to be better at this mm. because that's what keeps the wheels going round. That's what makes a prosperous society. And there are certain people in society who will always create wealth mm. and they give people jobs and they put stuff back into society. They fund so the universities, they get rid of the completely. diseases. Yeah, we yeah. pay the tax, we pay for the national health. So we shouldn't be seen as, as villains. We should be cherished and encouraged and, and made to be kind of role models because the more people who do this, the more people that produce rather than consume, the better society is. Yeah. And why do you think, maybe quintessentially British, that we have this sort of anti-love affair with money and anyone who's got money, it's a bit like, ooh, well, look at you. What? I, can't, I can't get my head around where that comes from. Yeah, where it comes from is probably the aristocracy and the God bless the square and his relations and keep us in our proper stations. And then you've got all the red brick universities and the, the, the kind of socialism of the 60s and 70s. And, and, and we got kind of really entrenched with making money was, 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 was kind of somehow bad. The, mm. the, the Bradford mill owner in his top hat and the poor people in the workhouse and the, and the mills on spinning jennies. And that, that's hung round in British society like a bad smell. Whereas in America, as you know, it's completely the opposite. Yes. You know, wealth creation, success is celebrated, perhaps a little bit too stridently over there. But we definitely have an issue. And, and when you listen to Corbyn and all this stuff, and you know, it just, you can't believe that in this, this, this huge global multi-multi-trillion dollar world in which we live, that there is still this antipathy towards making money, mm. wealth creation, and doing well in life. Surely yeah. that is the ultimate aim of every human being, to live a comfortable, prosperous, nice life and give something back to society. Yeah. You cannot do that with money. Socialism is great, but it's massively faulted because the money always runs out. Mm. You look at France right now, you know, they're, they're saying 75% you know, of, of, of people there have jobs paid for by the state. Yeah. And they've got fabulous infrastructure, but the tax rates are huge and they're just they're not productive. Their GDP is very low. They've got 10% employment because they don't promote businesses and startups and, 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 and the commercial entrepreneurial spirit. Mm. So can you tell us a bit about your business interests? What you... Okay, well, I started selling cars and then I started up a, a car magazine, which was quite successful. Then we, we, we sold that out. And then I've got television formats. So Britain's Worst Driver, which did well here and then went on to become America's Worst Driver, Belgium's Worst Driver, Spain's Worst Driver. It's in Canada now. It's on its 11th series. It's wow. one of the best watch programs in Canada. So these things kind of make money while, while you sleep. And I've got another show here called The Classic Car Show. And then we're doing another one called The Electric Car Show. I've also got an interest in a, in a, in a warranty company up in, a car warranty company up in Yorkshire. We've used you. Yeah. Yeah, we've War used your company. Warranty-wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, I put my 458 Spider through the News International building just over the road. Um, oh, was it, yeah, it was in the sun, it was in the mail, everything. Okay, yeah. okay. and yeah. did we pay your claim? Um, yes, you did. Good. Yeah, 97 grand. I never thought I'd be meeting them. Sorry about that. Should have, well, probably... no, look, I'm just glad we paid your claim yeah. and you're happy because, yeah. look, the thing about business <laughs> is, is you've got to be transparent, 
fair, I'm really passionate about this, yeah. that wealth creation is about putting something back and being decent, honest, scrupulous, yes. fair and, and consumer-centric. Mm. And for you to say that we've paid out 97 grand and you're happy as a customer is not something that, that, that I should be disappointed with. I'm delighted that you are a happy customer. Yeah. And that's great because you'll come back and you'll oh, recommend. Yeah. So business for me is about being good, decent, plain speaking. I've got no time for shysters mm. and swindlers because you want to do business for the long term. Yes. You want to build your business and it's about trust, it's about integrity, and it's about people buying from people they like. Mm. It's a simple, simple thing. And it's done me proud. And there are lots of people who say, no, no, you're too sensitive. But I'm absolutely adamant about this. Mm. Well, I think anyone can make short-term money by over-promising yeah. something. Yeah. But when you've been doing it a decade, two decades, three decades, four decades, you realise the ramifications of your early naive decisions. Yeah, completely. And therefore, you may turn down a customer that isn't right for you or don't take something just for the money. Yeah. Oh, no, never take it just for mm. the money. Take it because there's an opportunity. Sometimes you have to have a lost leader. Sometimes mm. it's just question getting your foot in the door. But you get to a stage when you've been in business a long time that people will do deals over the telephone and on handshakes. Mm. And that's critical as well. Sometimes you just don't have time for contracts and all this just due diligence. I mean, you, you've got to do it. But it's really nice to be dealing with people where there is this basic bedrock of trust because mm. that's what business depends on. Yeah. And pay your tax and pay your VAT and be honest and scrupulous about it. Mm, for sure. So could you talk about how you manage to do these TV license deals? Is it a license, you know, you've got the, um, like you said, the money while you sleep in all the different countries. That must have taken some negotiation. The shows must be more successful in some countries than the other. That sounds really interesting. We've just started to go more globally in our company. And I know that podcasts and public speaking events, I mean, in, in Asia versus England, even Scotland, it's really different in Scotland. They laugh like this in Scotland, <laughs> and uh, I didn't get—I didn't go down so well when I went and spoke up there. So, have you found going sort of global? And yeah, it's it's very difficult. And it, if I'm really really honest, I prefer that kind of gritty eye to eye, making money just by by your wits. But mm. when you've got global territories, the money you can make is huge, and you've got to think about you know, multiples. So what you do is you start off with a simple idea. And sometimes it's a title, Britain's Worth Driver. And I had that in a bar in Soho and walked round to a production company, had a meeting. And 15 minutes later, we're in the door at Channel 4. They said no. Then we went to Channel 5 and Channel 5 said, yep, boom, there you are. Million quid letter of uh, heads of agreement right. that afternoon. Yeah. So you... you, you, you this was after Top Gear, was it? Yeah, yeah, after Top Gear. And then you take that idea and you sit down with your creative team and you work out all these challenges and then you do a 10-part series. Financing is, is, is difficult because you need to retain creative control. So the broadcaster will chuck in some money, but you've also got to chuck in some money as well. And it's usually match funding. Then you talk to an international distributor, someone like uh, Sony. And that's, I find this really, really, really the hardest bit where you're talking to a lawyer in L.A. at five o'clock in the morning and you can't see the whites of his eyes. And he works for a large corporation and he's a humorless bloke and, and there's no kind of ability to have what we're having now, which is a laugh and, and, yeah. and, 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 and seeing the eye contact and, and all these really important things with the negotiation. So that's very difficult. But eventually you get it all in place and then off it goes. But then you've got to promote it in those different markets and you've got to realise what 
like the French market's completely different to the American market, the Canadian market's different from the American market, the Australian market's different from the New Zealand market, and you've got to have local local intelligence. And so then that's how you work out how it works. You, do yeah. you do joint ventures and partnerships? Joint ventures, partnerships. Sometimes you'll go over and film it. I remember right. when we did America's Worst Driver, we went over and filmed it because we knew because they did a pilot and they came back with all these people with perfect teeth and looking like they've come from central casting and yeah. and looking you know gorgeous. And I said. This doesn't not work enough. because yeah. what you want is real, real people. Yeah. And the exec from NBC said to me, we don't have real people on our television. <laughs> you know? We like nice people. And I said, look, you need trailer trash because that's your television gold. <laughs> and then we reshot it and it hoots the laughter in the edit suite and all these people bursting into tears and crashing cars and going the wrong way down highway, uh, highway <laughs> one in Los Angeles, uh, being by, chased by police cruisers. And then you've got a show, mm. you know, yeah. and that's what it is. So again, it's seizing an opportunity recognizing the opportunity and adding adding value to it. These two very, very simple principles. Mm. So then we did that and then we had the classic car show. So it was Jodie Kill and I, again, Channel 5. And we financed that through investors who came in and, and chipped in money, lots of little investors, mm. and made a 13-part series, which went out on Channel 5, did very well, and we've sold that in 10 different territories. But the interesting thing is every... Every week on that show, I would tip three or four cars that were going to go up in value. And they would, like a Ferrari 456, you could buy them for 35 grand. And I said, look, this is a really undervalued car. Mm. And then, you know, literally three or four days after the program, they would go up and they peaked at like 80 to 100 grand. And my accountant said to me, do you know, if you'd bought all the cars that you'd tipped <laughs> and sold those, you would have made more money than you made out of the television program. Right. So, but you needed a television program maybe to influence the market. To, to, but that's why, you know, media and television programs, they're, they're very important and you can drive business and you can yeah. not control markets, but influence markets. And what we're now doing is it's about YouTube. It's about people being able to make their own television programs because this is where it's changing and this is where the huge opportunities for the young generation are is, you know, I've got a, an iPhone in my hand. You can make a film with this because right. you can get a little edit suite on your Mac, MacBook yeah. Pro and, and film it on this, cut it, put some sound on it and then send it out on YouTube and suddenly you are, you're talking to billions of people. Yeah. Now, there's a huge opportunity there for all these kids, and, and my son is, is doing exactly that and making films. So it's not all gloom for them. Once you look at this, this, this expanding market out there and, and really learn that the opportunities there, if you're determined and hardworking, all the, the normal things apply, those opportunities are huge. Yeah. It's funny you talk about the um, Ferraris, because when I, um, I bought a 430 Spider, paid 62 for it, this was seven, eight years ago, sold it for 67. That's um, a free car. Yeah. Free it, Ferrari. Wow. Who's ever heard of a free Ferrari? I know. You know? Yeah. Let's not talk about the maintenance <laughs> side of it. Okay, well, maybe it wipes his face. Did yeah, it wipe yeah his face? exactly. But at that time, Testarossas were in the 40s, and I yep. thought, yep. I thought that is an underpriced car, because Magnum, you know, that's a beautiful... And yeah, they're pushing 100 grand now, so the yeah, good yeah. Testarossas. And I'm the man who said, look, look at this car. Because, you see, also this fashion, it's trust your instinct. I'm a great believer in instinct. If someone said to me, I don't like the Testarossa, I think it's too big, it's too garish, it was Don Johnson in Miami Vice with his espadrilles, 
And I look at the Testarossa and I think, do you know, I quite like that yeah. car. I think it's flamboyant. I think yeah. it's a bit loud. Those fins at the yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think unique. it's a design icon. So yeah. don't listen to other people with your value judgments. Research yeah. stuff, but trust your instinct. And I was right, and the other bloke was wrong, because as you quite rightly say, the Testarossa were languishing at 35, 40 grand because everybody was reading all the stuff about them being, being you know, tasteless. Yeah. Then, boom, suddenly they, and they peaked at 200,000 pounds. Wow. Uh, a yeah. very low mileage one when made 200. So, you know, you could have bought one for 30 and sold it, as I know a, a friend of mine did, for 120 grand and made that profit of 90,000 pounds completely clear and completely tax free. Yeah. We were just talking about the Paul Newman Daytonas, weren't we? Yeah. I mean, not the most beautiful ones, but obviously very rare. I mean, I remember when they were in the 20s, and this was five, four or five years ago, and you said one sold for 300 grand, did it? Yeah, a gold uh, Paul Newman Daytona. The Daytona is a Rolex chronograph named after the Daytona 500 in America, really famous motor race and Paul Newman wore one in the films and all the racing drivers had them and Rolex used to give them to racing drivers and these these old ones from the 60s and 70s are fabulously valuable now mm. and I, I, I was talking to this German Rolex dealer who had just sold a, a gold one for 300,000 pounds yeah it? it's it's totally nuts but look here's here's another lesson of business that anything rare made in limited numbers that's special and irreplaceable will always go up yes. in value. And if you can know what the value of that thing is and buy it under market, you will make money. Here's another Rolex story. I've got a place in France and the little bloke who runs the boulangerie is a bit of a, a, a watch watch bloke called Leopold and I go up there for my coffee and my, my baguette and we have a, a chat. And one day he's got his, his watch on and it's a, a Rolex Submariner but with co Comex on the dial. Okay, Comex, now, oh my, yeah, if you Comex, know what Comex yeah. are, Comex, this is, this is getting too <laughs> anal for words, but anyway, Comex. Um, You've but, just leaned forward on your chair, mate. You're excited about this. <laughs> um, uh, Comex were this diving company, and if you were a long-serving deep-sea diver, you got a, ro a Rolex with Comex with a special number on the back. Anyway, he, I say, my goodness, Leopold, that is, that's a Comex, is it? Yes, yes, yes. I was talking to a man um, who's a customer, and he says, uh, I have an old watch, would you look at it? So he comes in and he's got this old Comex, and it's all battered and, 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 and knackered, and he says, what's it worth? And he said, well, what would you want for it? And he said, well, I don't know, give me 2,000 euros, because I know these old watches are valuable. He said, there, sold, boom. And he said, oh, by the way, I've also got a picture of me getting the watch, and I've got a picture of me as a diver, and I've got the original box and paper. So he gets all this sort of stuff. That watch now is worth 70,000 pounds. But he knew, that's the key thing. He knew, he had the intelligence, he'd, he'd researched it. So it might seem unfair to buy the watch from the man for 2,000, 2000 euros, but he got that opportunity because he knew all about it. But also it's a value exchange because the man selling it thinks it's worth money and he's accepting yeah. that price. Yeah. So yeah. it's funny you say that because I'm, I'm 38 years old and so I feel like people of your generation have got a lot more cycles and a lot more knowledge and history. So I have a lot of mentors who are 60s and 70s because I want to tap into that. But I'm trying, what you said about the things that add value, I'm trying to see that now thinking, okay, so is it rare? Is it limited edition? or sometimes in endorsed watches as well, so Paul Newman. Yeah. So I bought a Schumacher Audemars Piguet, a gold one. They were 55 when they came out. And of course, he's not very well at the moment. And obviously, I wish he gets better, but things might happen. And they're, they're, they're 72, 75 now. And that's like a five-year-old watch. 
That's right. It's not a 50-year-old watch. Yeah, predicting. So could you, could you say those things again? Because I want people to hear them again. You said... So if it's rare, yeah. made in limited numbers, irreplaceable, or really, really special and has a kudos and a, and a, and a kind of halo to mm. it, then it will always go up in yeah. value. And this you can apply to cars, cars watches, to houses. art, yeah. to houses. Why is, is West End London property so expensive because they don't make the West End of London anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's as simple yeah, as Barrett that. Barrett Homes can't yeah, go and remake exactly. it. There are no housing estates in Belgravia and, and, and Mayfair. Yeah. So if you can't get it anymore, just understand if you can buy it slightly under market and then better still hang on to it, mm. your return is going to be better than anything. And yeah. it's about physical assets now, isn't it? Yes. People trust things you can touch and you can predict and you can understand much more than equities, stocks and shares and, and, and futures and things like that, which is why we've seen the rise in classic cars, in vintage watches, in fine wines, in art and stuff mm. like this. I remember I was... Because I, 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 I really... I did history of art at university and it left in me a kind of interest in modern pop art. And I'm, I'm in uh, London and it's raining and I'm on the Moscow Road and it's the old Phillips auction. So I go in there mainly because it's dry and there's a sale of lithographs going on. And there's a series of Warhol, and these aren't beautifully displayed, they are in a paper folder in a pile of other stuff, and I'm looking through this. That's, and how, that, that's how you get the value. Buy under the market. Yes. Buy from you know an yeah. orthodox like sources. really horrible looking houses. Yeah. 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 So there they are. The full one. It's a, it's a set called Flash by Warhol, and there were about a hundred of each each picture, and there's ten, and the eleventh one is missing. And I think, yeah, this is the real deal. I look at them. They're they're, they're signed by him. They're limited edition, etc., etc., etc. So I sit there and I think these would look nice in the games room. And I buy them for two and a half grand. Yeah. Okay. So I frame them all and, and they look lovely and we put them up in the games room. And five years, they, they look, look great. But the kids then break one of the frames and I'm thinking, no, no, no. So I take them down, pack them up and think, mm, okay, I'll buy the 11th one because it comes up on eBay. Then I've got the full set, then I've got the 11. And that was 1,500 quid or whatever. So take the full set down to Christie's on South Kensington and put it through and they made £37,000. Wow. So I've had them on the wall, yeah. and it's been absolutely lovely. We've enjoyed, enjoyed them. them, yeah. And there it is. I should keep them, because now <laughs> yeah. they're £60,000. Yeah. Now, the moral here is, if you buy this stuff, this special rare stuff, the best thing is to hang on to mm. it, because it will always, always go up, and that's your pension. Yeah. Forget about annuities and, and crap like that. Mm. Buy really good stuff, like lovely houses, lovely watches, art, nice cars. Yeah. Hang on to it for as long as you can. And I know sometimes, you know, you'll get a tax bill and you have to pay, pay it, so you have to sell something. But if possible, keep it for the long term, because mm. these rare physical assets are what everybody wants. Yes. This is where the clever money is. Yeah. People now have micro collections of classic cars, because right. they know the profit, the, 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 the capital gain on these is going to be much more than the miserable three, maximum 4% you get out of a, a conventional pension, and mm. even more than property. I mean, let's take a Lamborghini Miura. If you bought a Lamborghini Miura in 1973 for 5,000 pounds, that car would now be worth a million quid. Yeah. That's a 50,000 percent profit. That's ridiculous. You know, how's yeah. that? It's the best post-war performing asset mm. ever. You know? Yeah, I've just built um, a new, some new garages in my house because I'm planning to pick up a few cars. 
I've been I've been tracking the price of Ferraris for about eleven years. I like to focus on something because you can't do it all. Complete. No, and know about something and yeah, be expert exactly. in that one yeah. market because you can't be expert in everything no. and you can make mistakes and they can be very expensive. Mm. So as much as it'd be nice to have the old Mercs and the old Lambos, I think if I know Ferrari as well as anyone, it's a bit like you with Rolex, you know. And I I, I think I have more knowledge in AP than I do Rolex, but but also if if you look at the the classic car market. It's performed, it's managed to, to, to weather the Great Recession of 2008. Yeah. It's weathered Brexit. Yeah. It's weathered, you know, the Italian banking crisis. It's weathered Trump. Yeah. And okay, it's gone down and up yeah. and down. And it, it's not had the meteoric rise that it, it, we saw in 2015, but it's still doing better. It's also a supply-demand thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Rowan Atkinson, he lives down the road from here and he crashed his McLaren. Yeah. And then all of the others go up because there's only like a handful of them. And the McLaren was 650 grand. In 1990, that car's worth five million. Now. Yeah, so, you know, so it's worth rebuilding. So yeah. look at these markets and understand that things that are irreplaceable, no matter what the rest of the general market is doing, they stay pretty solid because that's what people want. They want to touch and feel it, and also the kind of bragging rights and being able to drive your investment round. Why wouldn't these old yeah. cars go up? And we should yeah. have predicted it. It's also nice, I find, because I have a real passion for watches. It sounds like you do for cars. It's nice to have utility with them as well. Yeah. You know, if you buy bullion, Kruger Rand, like you said, stocks, whatever, you've got no utility. You no. can't use them. No. You can't enjoy no. them. No. That's the great bonus. Yeah. You know, you can drive your Ferrari, you can wear your Rolex, you can look at your Warhol, you can live in, 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 in your house. Mm. And that's it, this utility. And, and people are coming round to this. You know, high net worths are moving money out of, of currency and, 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 and property markets into the physical things that make their life more interesting and mm. more glamorous and more enjoyable. Mm. Okay, so let's switch tack. Do you remember the time when you knew you were going to be on Top Gear and did you think when that happened this is going to be massive? No. Uh, look, some, some people look for television and they go and find it and some people, television comes and finds them. And I was doing very well selling my cars and having a nice time and writing in this car magazine that I, uh, I, I produced with this other bloke. Mm. And then I got this weird call from a man at the BBC who said, could you possibly come and do a screen test for us and do something on used cars, you know? <laughs> and I didn't really take it very seriously. And I thought, oh dear, can I be bothered with all this, you know, BBC mm. fairies flouncing around. So I went and I did the, the screen test in Birmingham and then Everybody kind of seemed to be nodding and looking at each other when I'd just done this thing about, I think it was Ford X, XR3i. And a week later, it went out. All right. My screen test went out. And then they said, would you, would you do it on a, on a regular basis? So I, I did. And, you know, it was like 12 years with Clarks. And he and I kind of started it all up at the mm. same time. And it was great. And, and it was lovely. I, I had no idea that it would be the, the phenomenon that it, it, it would be and that I would be as a consequence, recognised literally all over the world. Mm. And it was great, but <sighs> telly's a funny thing and, and maybe I should have made more opportunity of it and, and, and franchise things and products and, and all that sort of stuff. But I think my role is, is as a, a pundit, as a, as, a, as a communicator about value. And, and, and my success on Top Gear was about secondhand cars and telling people, you know, you should buy this or this is what to look for or this is the market that's developing, etc. And to have gone and bought fields full of cars and then, you know, sold them afterwards wouldn't be right. And there are, there are rules and laws against that. But we would get car dealers ringing, ringing the office up saying, what's it going to do this week? And yeah. then, you know, I remember when I did the Porsche 928, because you could buy them for £5,000. Mm. Dealers would say, there isn't a 928 for sale anywhere in the country because <laughs> yeah. they'd all been bought up. Yeah. And I'm really kind of happy as a communicator who has 
Because people come up to me in the street and say, oh, Doc, you, you told me to buy a, a, a Sierra RS Cosworth five years ago. I've just sold it for £100,000. I can't thank you enough. Yeah. That is the best feeling in the world. Yeah. You know, to change somebody's life with a life-changing amount of money, mm. and for me, that's that's absolutely great. And here I am, you know, 20 years later, and we're still doing it, and it's still great, and I've had a lovely life. Mm. And to have people who come up to you, I mean, there was a, a bloke in Ireland yesterday who was doing a conference over there, and he had had something I'd I'd done on uh, Ferraris on his phone right. in 1999 or 2000, and he just played it back to me. He said, I, I love this piece, and <laughs> I bought this car on your recommendation, and I've still got it. Yeah. So that really is, it, it's a rare and special pleasure to have mm. that. And why do you think it was so big? Because I always like to look at things in life that work and try and work out how and why, because I think that... Obviously, there's always a bit of je ne sais quoi, a bit of chemistry, a bit of something you couldn't maybe articulate. But if you can work out what you think it would, then maybe you, you, know, you, you can see more opportunities in the future. So what, what do you think made it work? It's really simple. It was a combination of information, which nobody would ever talked about second cars before, and also Jeremy talking about new cars in a way that had never been done before yeah. either. Because up to that point, motoring journalism was kind of... A bit cowardly, you know. The trip computer's a bit difficult to work and the ashtray's a bit close to the gear lever, but, you know, it's a nice car. And people would go on launches and get the five-star hotel room and the, the club-class flight. And it wasn't as hard-hitting. And Jeremy brought a new clarity and a new kind of mischief to it and said when a car was lousy, it really was lousy. And the yeah. whole motor industry, global motor industry, would, when, when, when it went on at Thursday at 8.30, as it did then, they'd reach for the Valium because mm. of what he was going to say. So you had these voices that had never been heard before, this honesty, this integrity, and this new tone of voice. And he made people laugh. Yeah. I mean, we both did, and we'd, we'd try and come up with these mangled metaphors and sorry similes and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> and it, it just... It really, really hit a spot, mm. and everybody said, "Look, you know, this is this is a new motoring program. This is a new thing." And then they went on to make it even funnier and do the camaraderie, and it became a hybrid entertainment program. Yeah, it was a family TV show. Yeah, then, which at one it? stage yeah. was going out to three hundred million people around the world. Yeah, and so it, it clearly evolved well. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you watch the TV series, and series four, five, and six are like one, two, and three, and it it sort of burns itself out, but I felt like it really continued to develop. And but the key thing about it was that we wrote our own material. Right. We didn't get a 25-year-old so researcher yeah. to, to come up with a script and then read it off an auto cue. Mm. If you really want to make an impact with television, you've got to have something special to yeah. say. Otherwise, it's, it's just white noise like everybody else. Mm. And you can tell if somebody's reading nonsense off an auto cue. We would work deep into the night writing these scripts and checking information and, 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 and being the first to say something. Mm. And that shone through because you got trust from the viewer. Yeah. And it was the, the only voice that had information, experience, credibility, integrity, and wasn't kowtowing to the car makers. Yeah. Mm. And do you think Jeremy's disruptive nature helped it? Oh, God, yeah. Mm. People loved his disruptive nature. I mean, the, for everybody who, who, who loves him, there's also people who don't, but... And it's um, his courage to be hated, I think, yes, that completely. I admire as yeah, well. Yeah, he doesn't really care what people think no. about him. And, and I wish I had that degree of self-confidence, because <laughs> yeah. he... And I've been with him, and people have come up to him and said, you're the motoring equivalent of Fred West, and you think, <gasps> you know, it doesn't bother him at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he has this incredible confidence. Now, confidence is really important, but you've got to be careful that you don't offend more people than, 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 
loved than, than, than admire you. And but we won't go there with what happened no, since. <laughs> yeah. no. And certainly don't hit people because your lunch is cold. <laughs> yeah. But look, he's he is a one-off, and you know, probably the world's greatest motoring broadcaster. Mm. I don't think anybody's ever eclipsed him. And we're seeing, you know, on the current series of Top Gear, how how he is missed. Mm. But again, it's it's about like business. You know, if you've got something that is really, really, really unusual and special and unique and, and does or says something in a different way, then it's going to sell mm. and you've got to just protect it and, and add value and make it bigger and better yeah. and then you can go global with it. Mm. Good ideas. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that in the car because um, when Bobby and I travelled to and from our golf and um, he, he got him into all the music and he likes heavy metal and he gets all excited and there's a band called System of a Down. They're quite a heavy band. And um, you just listen and you think there's no one like them. There's a million heavy metal bands and people screaming and shouting. And then he listened to Nirvana. And when they came out, there was no one like them. And I try and think, okay, so being unique is important. But with these great disruptive bands, Oasis, Nirvana, whoever, I get the feeling that they are just them. But then there are some people who are trying to be different. Yeah. There must be a difference between those two. Yeah. And I think it's about being yourself. And, and the people, and we see them every day of our lives, don't we? The people who shine out, who come into a room and have this awe around them are the people who have this confidence, who are self-assured and focused. Mm. And it's very easy in music, in media, in television, in journalism, in business, to kind of get pushed away by other people's bad ideas. Mm. And this is why when I do deals in television, it's, it's me, it's not somebody else. Yeah. And when I write scripts, it's me, it's mm. not someone. Don't surrender creative control, yeah. ever. Right. And don't let these armies of accountants and agents and managers just muck it up for you, because mm. they will. If you've got a pure idea and a sense of belief in yourself and your idea and a determination and a focus, you will make it. Yeah. But if you surrender it to other people to do it for you, you won't. Right. So take these steps and be bold mm. and strong and focused and and, and just everyone else dilute your ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. Keep them away. Yeah. Surround yourself with good people, but keep the toxic people away. Mm. You know, you have to have this confidence and this authority to be able to survive in business. Yeah. And the business of TV, is that different from your other business interests that aren't TV related? Yeah, a million, million miles different. Because, yeah. you know, you, you, you've got creative people who are making these programmes. And I've got wonderful directors and, and wonderful cameramen and people who are... You know, they're not entrepreneurs and they're not business people and you've got to look after them and you've got to cherish them and understand that they make what appears on screen and they make you sound good and they make the idea look fabulous mm. and they may not be hard-edged businessmen. So you've got to accept that, but you've got to support them and you've got to encourage them and you've got to pay them properly and not put pressure on them. You've also got to understand that there are layers of management in television who will take a good idea and make it... Oh, homogenise it, you know, yeah. pasteurise it, because they think that's what they, they, they need to do. The audience knows nonsense, well-dressed nonsense, when they see it. Yeah. And we've got far too much of that on television because good ideas are often filtered by layers of management and commissioning mm. editors and, and channel, channel heads who... And that's why we've got so many things like antique shows, dating, a house in the sun, you know, this predictable, mm. you know, received wisdom... They're not brave, they're not risk-averse, and you, you, you've got very few channels, channel, channel 4 would be one of them who is brave, who do stuff that is, that is genuinely unusual and, and comes out as a really separate individual statement. Mm. And when you've got that, the viewer sits up and takes notice. Yeah. We used to say, Jeremy and I, that if, if you come up with a, a phrase like this 
car will snap Nicolastic at 200 yards. <laughs> this car is more fun than seeing the whole French Air Force crash into a firework factory. You know, we used to think about these things. And when you say them on screen, people remember them. And they mm. made more than fleeting marks behind the eyes and slip away. People will yeah. come up to you two, three years later and say, oh, I love that phrase. Mm. I remember it. You know, this car is like Catherine Deneuve dipped in truffle sauce. Lovely. <laughs> but we would sit down. And, and you look like you enjoy things. creating those lines. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And we'd sit there with a bottle of vodka and <laughs> packets of Marlboros and just, you know, writing these scripts. Yeah. That's the fun bit of television. So what am I trying to say here? Again, this individuality, this strength of purpose, this belief, this this understanding that you have a different voice and you're non-conformist, that's really important. Don't mm. be a conformist, yeah. be different. And then what you're selling, what you're offering, what you're saying shines out like a shaft of gold. Mm. And is there anything on TV that does that for you right now that you think this is unique, disruptive, interesting? I'm, I'm sure there are, but you see, I don't because I, uh, this, this is a world now of on-demand television, isn't it? You, yeah. you, you don't sit down with your Radio Times at 8.30 and watch it. You look at your iPad, you, 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 you look at iPlayer and you, you watch stuff that, that you, you want to watch. So I watch a lot of American stuff like NCIS and, and, and CSI. I mean, some of the American programs are fantastic, mm. Big Bang Theory. Um, I have to say, I, I don't watch the BBC much at all now. And when you look at the demographics of, of, of the BBC, we're talking about a, a kind of quite elderly mm. viewing group who watch it passively. I, I, I want to watch programs that don't tell me about the decline of civilization. You know, you watch some of the Channel 5 stuff and you just think, oh God, do I really want to see these people chasing up and down the motorways and police yeah. cars yeah. arresting thugs? You know, I want something <laughs> that's going to improve my life and tell me something I don't know. Yeah. And I remember, you know, trying to pitch programs to channel controllers about making money and being an entrepreneur and living by your wits. And they just don't get it because they don't live that life. Mm. You know, they're in Islington and they're being paid a couple of hundred grand a year and they love buying stuff that's new. Yeah. New Hermes handbags yeah. for whatever. And when you talk to them about this gritty world where there are all these opportunities, they kind of glaze over. Mm. A great friend of mine is uh, Theo Pathartis and, and he's, he's just a top, top man because he, very successful, worth a couple of hundred million, but he's still got it. He's yeah. still got this this entrepreneur eye, this 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 nose sharp. for opportunity mm. and and sharp. And he, you know, no matter what the deal is, whether it's fifty quid or a hundred quid, and he will complain about a bill. I yeah. mean, it's lovely to see him complaining about a bill and yeah. saying, "Look, the, you know, this is this is wrong. You you put this twenty quid drink on it, it's yeah. not there. You know, yeah. we didn't have it." And he'll he'll give the waiter a hard time. And the minute you stop doing that, you've lost touch. Mm. You stop being grounded. Yeah. And Theo is the classic case of a man who is, who is terribly, terribly good at making money and seeing opportunity, but he's also very nice. And I can understand why he's not on Dragon's Den anymore, because yeah. he's out there and he's making money and he got kind of exhausted by the television loveys. Yeah. Do you know, I think it's a real shame because I was hoping, being someone who's passionate about business and it's what I do in and out of work and everything else, I thought The Dragon's Den and The Apprentice might open the door for a load of really good business TV shows. I know. And it seems like there's I nothing. I know. And it is something that over the years I've really tried to, 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 to pitch to people. And, and you know it would work. You know it would. I mean, I did a pilot called Bangers and Cash where we went <laughs> to an auction in, in, in America, in Miami, of seized drug dealer assets. Mm. So planes, boxes full of Rolexes. Yeah, um, I'd watch that. Cars, <laughs> yeah. houses, uh, 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 fine art, 
furniture, all in this warehouse, all being sold to Americans at knockdown money. And we shot it and it was really, really, really good. And, and I remember Sterling Moss watched it and he rang me up and he said, give me the address of this place, you're doing fantastic, I've got to go. And then they, it went up to the BBC and it was the controller at the time, it went right up to him and he said, no, I'm not sure this is gonna this is gonna fly, you know. So they didn't commission it, no. and you know, I just knew in my heart of hearts that this really was a fascinating program. We were going to call it Auction Man. Right. So you just went around yeah. all the auctions all over the world and yeah. and did this stuff. But you know, that's the, the 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 world that television people inhabit is very different from the world that you and I inhabit. But I think they should be they should be joining the two together and mm. talking to people and empowering them and yeah. educating them and telling them about these opportunities mm. and not telling us about how to make over your room with bits of chipboard and MDF. Yeah. Because we've probably been courted by BBC, Channel 4, Channel 5 about 30 or 40 times. And most of the time, I'm not gonna mention a channel because it's not right, but most of the time what they wanna do is make us look really evil and the tenant look like a victim. And there's one at the moment where they wanna get a landlord to go and stay in one of our own houses as the tenant and sleep there and be there for a week. And they actually can't get anyone buying at the show because it's pretty obvious what they're going to try and do, make it all look really bad. Is there no room for something that's uplifting anymore in TV? Well, that's a rhetorical question, and we know what the answer is. Of course there's room, yeah. and it should be positive, and it should be full of positive energy, and it should give what we call take-home. Mm. So the viewer watches it and sees this and thinks, right, I'm going to change my life. Yeah. But there seems to be an appetite for this awful kind of, you know, let's pull back the curtain and show the grime and the suffering and the misery behind it. Mm. That's not the television I want to watch. No. And I know it's not the television no, you want to watch. Not. Make people's lives better. Yeah. And television like is a fantastic medium. Learn something, yep. be inspired, want yep. to go and improve my life, be yep. a bit entertained. It doesn't have to be, yeah. you know, yeah. slapstick. Make it funny, yeah. absolutely. Don't be too serious. But, but tell me something I don't know, because mm. I'm interested and I'll suck this stuff up like short lengths of spaghetti. Yeah. So we've got about five minutes left and you've got to do your speech. I want to, in advance, say thanks a lot. I've really enjoyed this chat. I could stay here all day. Was, is, is your life been kind of Top Gear era and non-Top Gear era? I've spoken to people, like I interviewed Daley Thompson, and very much his was, you know, decathlete and then non-decathlete. Has that been the case for you? Did you have to reinvent yourself after, etc.? No, I kind of, you know, you can't, nothing stays the same forever. And I just didn't want to carry on with Top Gear forever because you kind of get typecast and you get mm. into somebody's shadow and you've got to do other things. Was and it your decision to walk yeah, move on? Yeah, it was, yeah. it was. And and I'm very glad I'm, I did that because I've got three kids and here's, here's a really important aphorism in business and in life that your family is much more important than anything else. Yeah. And when it got to the stage where you were being besieged by people and you couldn't go to Tesco's without you know spending all the time talking about you know, my wife Skoda or whatever. It got <laughs> a bit too much and I think I'm really happy because I've made a success of it post Top Gear. People still recognise me, people still talk to me. Yeah. I can still um, make television programmes. But I have quality of life with my beautiful wife and my three lovely children. I am hugely, hugely lucky and fortunate to be in this position and to be able to do this. And Top Gear was wonderful and television is wonderful, but ultimately it's all about love and friendships and mm. never, ever forget that. Yeah. Okay. So if you could go back to your pre-Top Gear days and give the younger you a few little tips of navigating the minefield of business and life and TV, what would that be? Okay. It's quite simple. I came to the, the, the attention of people because I was doing something that nobody else was doing and I was writing about old cars, used cars 
in a way that nobody else had done before. Mm. So I, I became the poacher turned gamekeeper. Mm. So the, 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 the moral here is be the best you can, absolutely. And I would write late into the night and get three hours sleep and then late into the next night for a couple of hundred quid. Mm. But I did it as well as I could because I knew I was doing something different. So be really hardworking, really diligent and, and say something or do something that nobody else is doing. Don't be driven and led by other people. Yeah. Be your, you be, have your own focus and just do it in a way that is different and unusual mm. and unique and special. And they will listen. Mm. Okay. And this podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. What does the word disruptive mean to you? This will be the final question. Disruptive is something that comes into an established traditional market and turns the value system on its head. So we see things like Uber that has come in and, and, and changed everything. And that's a good thing. And it means that you've got an attitude or a business proposition or a business model that breaks the mold. And disruptive is a positive description because it brings new energy, new employment, new growth, new specialisms into a market which might just stay the same. And markets do move, they're organic, they change. And if you're a disruptive entrepreneur and you come in with something, don't take that as, a, as an insult, see it as a really positive compliment. Disruption mm. in, in markets and economies is good. That's what we need. Right, okay. And then where can people follow you? Are you on social media? Can people, um, you know, I don't know if you write or anything, anyone can follow anything that you're doing? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Do you know you? Yeah, it's at Quentin Wilson, simple as that. Okay. Um, you can see the website, which is quentinwilson.co.uk. I'm not on Facebook because I don't think I want my life on parade all the time. And I think <laughs> you've, you've certainly you've got, to, you've got to hold something back. Mm. I write for Classic Car magazine. I do uh, fairfueluk.com, which is a campaign to lower fuel duty, which right. is very important. Yeah. And we've saved 100 billion quid uh, wow. over the last 10 years. So look, I'm around, you know, yeah. you can you can get hold of me. I'm on LinkedIn right. and, you know, read my stuff. Uh, and it's great. I've been very lucky. I've had a, a lovely life and I've been able to achieve things, but also change things and make things better. Mm. What, 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 what more is there? Mm. Quentin, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure. Rob again, stay with me here because I've got a gift for you. I get asked for these a lot and I thought, well, I'll, I'll leverage my time and yours and I will put these four things I get asked a lot into a free gift for you. So if you go to tiny.cc forward slash Rob's report, then what I've done is I've written for you an article on the top 21 apps I use to create the mobile lifestyle. I've written an article on the 14, my most favorite educational, inspirational, informative documentaries of the you know, most inspiring people in the world. I've written uh, which ones they are and a synopsis of each one. I'm very well known for having lots of very specific goals, detailed vision values. So I'm sharing with you my particular document I use, I've PDF'd it for you. And also the fastest ways I know to make money for startup and scale up entrepreneurs. So I've written an article and a detailed report on each one. I've put them all into one. And all you have to do is go to tiny.cc forward slash Rob's report. You get those for free. I'll never ask anything from you, spam. I'll never spam you, never sell to you. And then also once a week, I'll send you a new article or a new video content that's a bit different that maybe you wouldn't get normally from the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. So I hope you find that useful. Remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Thank you.